Good morning, Storehouse. A reading from Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Gabe. Good morning, y'all. How are you doing? My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, In the event that you didn't hear Gabe, we're going to find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Uh, While you open or load your Bibles, just two quick announcements for you. The first one is that if you're new, uh, we'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to take you out to lunch, dinner, coffee, and all of the things. And so there are these connect cards uh, Uh, Some of them are on the chairs. Some of them are on the connect desk. Fill one out. We'd love to hang out with you, as I mentioned. In addition to that, if that's not your jam yet, we'd love to pray for you. So leave a a note on there as to how we can be praying for you. Uh, Additionally, if you don't have a Bible, we love preaching through the Bible. And so that is our gift to you. We have Bibles available for you. Take one with you. Hook someone up with the Bible. All of those wonderful things things. Once more, we're going to find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 10, uh, and this is where we begin our descent in Galatians. So we're going to close out this wonderful epistle next week. That is the day after Christmas. Yes, we are meeting on the 26th. That's a Sunday. We will gather and praise Jesus. But before that, we're here. And so if you were with us last week, you may remember that it is at this point in our time in Galatians, where the Apostle Paul has transitioned from a theological framework to practical application. And by way of reminder, Paul does this, or his intention behind that, and in his other epistles, is to establish a foundation that rests upon the person and work of Jesus. It is from there, from that foundation, that he helps us to then apply these biblical truths in everyday, ordinary life. And so if you are a new student to the Bible, you will notice through the writings of the Apostle Paul that the first half, generally, the first half of his letters always consist of some profound theological framework. He's trying to establish a foundation on the person and work of Jesus, who you are apart from Jesus, who you are in Jesus, and then somewhere in the middle of his letters, you'll hear something like, therefore. And that word implies that he is transitioning from a theological framework to practical application. And that's where we find ourselves in in Galatians, both from chapters 5 and now into chapter 6. 
This transition is important because one of the phrases that we say here at Storehouse McAllen is that your identity determines your activity. Or said differently, what you believe about Jesus shapes how you live. And as we begin chapter 6, you're going to notice that it's directly tied to what he has already shared in last week's text from chapter 5. By this I mean that last week Paul spoke on two things. So this is a brief uh, kind of review. He spoke on two things. First, Paul spoke about walking by the Spirit. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And the second thing, thing that he talked about was the tension or the friction that exists between the flesh and the Spirit. In this chapter, Paul will unpack what it looks like to live or to walk by the Spirit. And here's what he gets at. We, check it on this, this is very profound. I worked very hard on this statement. We are not independent people. We are interdependent people. See, the church is a family that has been redeemed by Jesus and adopted into the family of God through the grace of God. And as a family, one of the most miraculous and most unnatural things that we are called to do is to love one another. See, the truth is that loving and serving one another is not natural for us. We have a tendency to be selfish and self-centered and even self-righteous. But by the Holy Spirit's work in us, we are now capable, empowered to care for one another. You see, in a statement like that, some may disagree. Some may say, well, that's not exactly what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. That is to care for one another. I could say that statement in certain churches and leadership and congregations would disagree. Rather, some would even argue that walking by the Spirit is actually personal devotion. That might be you. That if I asked you, well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? All right, that's something that we talked about last week, and it always begs the question so that it doesn't sound so spiritual. Well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And some of you might say, well, walking by the Spirit is personal devotion, my personal quiet time. Right? Some of you might say that walking by the Spirit perhaps is following the rules, making sure you don't jack it up. And so it inevitably, inevitably leads to legalism, which is what the Apostle Paul has been writing against in this epistle. Some would argue that walking by the Spirit is seeing signs and wonders and miracles. But when we consider chapter 6, as we will in a moment, you're going to notice that Paul never mentions any of these things when it comes to walking by the Spirit. That doesn't mean that they're insignificant. But he doesn't mention any of them. And so here's my argument, my main idea. Walking by the Spirit produces Biblical community. That's it. Walking by the Spirit produces biblical community. Walking by the Spirit leads the church to supernaturally love and serve one another. One of the early church fathers, his name is Tertullian from the second century. Some of you may have heard of him. Some of you don't care. It's cool, right? When it comes to Tertullian, in his memoirs, right, he goes on to write about what other people, what pagans were saying about the early Christians. And one of the things that he notes is that they weren't talking about how well they knew their Bibles, even though that was important. He wasn't saying, man, look at how much church they go to. 
They weren't saying, look at how well they follow the rules. These pagans weren't saying, look at how well they gather. Rather, what Tertullian recorded was that they were saying, look at how well they love one another. Additionally, I heard a pastor tell a story about another pastor from New York saying that there was a woman who came up to him and said, Pastor, if we simply had more signs and wonders, I believe that this church would grow. And the pastor responded, I agree. There's this family who has just been evicted from their apartment, and I believe that it is a sign for you to take them in until they get back on their feet. Walking by the Spirit produces biblical community. So let us center our hearts and our minds on God's Word this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll dig into the text. Father, we are utterly thankful that we get to gather and worship you, to sing praises to your names, to your glory, and to saturate ourselves in your Word. For that, we are thankful for the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. As we dive into Galatians, Father, I ask that you would challenge our will this morning. Spirit, would you both comfort and plead with us to look to Jesus? Spirit, stir our hearts toward the person and work of Jesus. Stir our hearts to love and serve one another. Stir our hearts to fully depend on you. I pray that the goodness of Jesus would be proclaimed today, that those who know Jesus would come and know him better, that they would be drawn to him, and that those who don't know Jesus, I pray that they would come and know him, that the grace of salvation that they cannot earn would be received. May this morning be for your glory and our good. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, ready? So the first portion of our time, I'm going to try and keep as practical as possible because that is the framework that the Apostle Paul sets up for us. As a result, we're going to consider five principles of biblical community this morning. We're going to look at restoration, pursuing holiness, generosity, reaping, and perseverance. All of these will be up on the screen. Let's begin with restoration. If you'll notice in chapter 6, Paul begins this portion by addressing the church. In other words, he's no longer directly calling out the false teachers, but rather he addresses the church by saying, brothers. So he's turning his attention fully on the Galatians. And he tells them, and in turn tells us, that one of the key principles to biblical community is restoration. Look at what he says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. As we begin to talk about restoration, I want you to note something. Jesus is not in the business of condemnation, but restoration. The word restore or to be restored, has twofold meaning. The first is that it is an illustration of a broken bone that needs to be splinted, set, and healed. 
Secondly, it is that of mending. The, the word mending is one that is similarly used in Matthew 4, where the disciples are mending their nets so that they can chunk them back into the water to catch more fish. Essentially, it means to be repaired. The same idea applies here, that the purpose of restoration is so that you would be mended and then sent back out into the city, into your neighborhood, with your families, and so on. Additionally, and ultimately, it is only Jesus who can restore. Let us not forget that. It is only Jesus who can restore. But our job in restoration is to point one another to Jesus. So it opens up a can of questions. Who are we restoring? Who does the restoring? And how are we restoring one another? So let's consider verse 1. Paul goes on to say, The one who's going to be restored is the one or anyone who is caught in any transgression. That's who's going to be restored. Any one of us who is caught in any transgression. The word caught implies that a brother or sister has fallen into sin through traps that have been set out for them. These traps that have been set out are temptations. And not only have these brothers and sisters been lured to these temptations, but ultimately they believed that this temptation would produce pleasure and instead produced pain, corruption, anguish. Paul says those are the ones that need to be restored. Anyone who is caught in transgression needs to be restored. Well, who does the restoring? Paul says, you who are spiritual. Now, here's the thing. You can find a bunch of commentaries on the word spiritual. Most people end up fighting over the word spiritual when it comes to this text. I believe the reason they're arguing over the word spiritual is just so that they don't have to do any kind of restoring. So that they wouldn't actually have to do something with their brothers and sisters. The word spiritual does not imply those who are spiritually elite. It does not imply church leadership. It doesn't even imply seasoned Christian veterans. Rather, it is those in whom the Holy Spirit resides, meaning that if you belong to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit resides in you. Your responsibility to one another is to restore one another. It's not for some spiritually elite Christians. Additionally, we can read that statement as a punch to the gut to the false teachers that Paul was writing about earlier. In other words, they were preaching about how spiritual they were because of how well they held to the Mosaic law. It could be read here that Paul is actually saying to them and us, he is saying, if you're so spiritual, then it should be you who is the first one to restore a brother or sister. Since you know so much about the Bible, you should be the one that goes and restores the brother and sister. You see, the thing is, everybody wants to be spiritual, but nobody wants to be godly. That's what Paul is telling us here. Well, then the next question is, well, then how do we restore one another? Paul tells us two things, and this is one verse. He says, with gentleness and with caution. Gentleness, as we saw last week, is a fruit of the Spirit. This is one of the ways, this is one of the scenarios in which we walk by the Spirit through restoring one another 
gently. Now, when we restore one another gently, or when we restore someone gently, that does not mean that it may not require firm words or even a rebuke. But it does mean that we don't restore someone in harshness or with condemnation or judgmentalism. Martin Luther wrote that as soon as you give someone a stern rebuke, this is what you should do. He says, run unto him and reaching out your hand, raise him up again, comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. We restore one another gently. Not in compromise, but gently. Secondly, Paul says that we restore one another with caution. Let's read that second part. He says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Additionally, the the word caution also is twofold. That is, on one hand, when you restore someone, you want to move forward with caution so that you don't fall into the same temptation, into the same sin. You may have seen this in a variety of contexts, in a variety of scenarios. One of them may be, as an example, man, someone who has uh, 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 an addiction. Man, and you're trying to help them and you're trying to get them out of that and subsequently you end up falling prey to that same temptation, to that same sin. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship and you're alone and it's getting a little heated and rather than backing off and saying, hey, we can't do this, you follow through and you go through with that temptation. He says, keep a watch on yourself so that you wouldn't fall either. On the other hand, it also means that you don't succumb to self-righteousness, to spiritual pride. In other words, when you know that a brother or sister is in, in, in sin, one thing that you don't do is you say, man, look how much better I am because I'm not involved in the kind of sin you are. Look how much better I am because I don't struggle with that. Look at how much better I am because I've defeated that. I'm good to go. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted implies that one, you're going to move forward with caution so that you don't fall into the same sin, but two, that you're going to guard yourself from spiritual pride. That's what it means to restore someone gently and with caution. Therefore, as we move forward, well, how do we do this faithfully? We do this faithfully by realizing that we are not independent people. We're interdependent people, and we are not as strong as we think. Let's look at verse 2. Paul says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God, through Paul, commands us to not only restore one another, but to bear one another's burdens. The word burden uh, gives us a picture, that of a heavy stone. Something that you cannot carry on your own something that you cannot carry yourself. Here's what you and I need to really just think about for a minute. Everyone carries burdens. We must humbly accept that. Many of you carry a variety of them. It could be physical issues. It could be mental health concerns. It could be spiritual depression and more. The truth is none of us are exempt from carrying burdens. And at the same time, there is a temptation to turn toward quick 
fix schemes, to turn to false gospels, to turn to moralism and behaviorism, and I'm good, I'm fine. Each one of us carries burdens. And because we all have burdens, God does not intend for us to carry them by ourselves in isolation. The word carrying also means going in and seeking out your brothers and sisters. Because the burden in which they have is one that they cannot carry on their own. We need to understand that this command, bear one another's burdens, comes with urgency. And it's said elsewhere in Scripture. Consider James 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Elsewhere, Jude says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Then when it comes to these burdens that we are carrying and you see a brother or sister drift and wander and walk away, our responsibility to one another is to pursue them is to go after that wandering brother or sister. Man, Christians will go after a wandering pet before they go after a wandering brother or sister. The church has been supernaturally knit together as a family by the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we are able to fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another as Christ has loved us. How do we fulfill this law? By bearing one another's burdens. And Paul closes this little section by giving us a warning. He says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul says, hey, if you think you're something, if you think you're above everyone, if you think you're superior, if you think you're just better, in reality, you're nothing. And you're lying to yourself. The church is not an idle people, but a transformed people, knit by the Spirit, pursuing one another by pointing each other to Jesus. Let's consider the second principle, pursuing holiness. <clears throat> when it comes to pursuing holiness, this is what pleases God, that you and I would pursue holiness because we have been made holy not so that we would become holy, not so that we would satisfy some checklist. It is because we belong to God through faith in Jesus that we are holy and that we can pursue holiness and righteousness. When you consider, this is verses four through five, when you consider these verses, they may sound like a contradiction. All right, so let's look at it. Beginning in verse four. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. He just said, bear one another's burdens. And now he's saying, you got to bear your own load. So which one is it? All right. The key is in the word load. The word load is that of a backpack. Something that is light enough for anyone to carry, for you yourself to carry. It's light enough, and when it comes to applying it to us, it's referring to personal responsibility. I want you to consider what John Stott says about the difference between burden and load. He writes, 
So we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. A burden is something that you cannot carry yourself. Again, the image there is that of a really, really heavy stone. But when it comes to a load, it is your personal backpack, something that you can carry. Some of you are down with fanny packs. Fine, that, right? It is that whole jam, right? It is your personal responsibility. Cool? All right, let's play a game. Here we go. We're going to play this game called, is it a burden or is it a load? Let's see how good you guys are. Here we go. Ready? Everybody paying attention? Don't write notes. This is a game, all right? Just saying. Okay, here we go. A dude who sleeps in, doesn't have a job, and wants you to help him wake up so he's ready for the day. Is that a burden or is that a load? Yeah. That dude needs a job, all right? Here we go. Family who is experiencing financial hardship, they're unable to pay for bills or groceries for the kiddos. Burden or load? Burden. They're going to get harder. An individual experiencing bouts of depression and isolation, one who is hurting emotionally. Burden or load? Burden. Burden. All right, here we go. An individual who is looking for accountability. And because maybe you don't check in on them, they sin and then blame it on you. That's a load. (laughs) All right, here we go. A husband who is passive and not leading his family spiritually. That's all I'm going to give you. Burden or load? I mean, some of you are more generous than I would be. Each one of us has personal responsibility. Also, then how do we pursue holiness? Also, good job on the game. And those of you who didn't participate, that's a a load. Okay? I'm looking at people over here. All right? Each one of us has a personal responsibility. So how do we pursue holiness? Paul tells us in this little section, We pursue holiness by examining ourselves. Look at verse 4. Let each one test his own work. Listen to me, church. There is a difference between being reflective and examining yourself. When you examine yourself, you are submitting your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions to the will of God. When you are examining yourself, you are keeping watch on yourself. You are aware that pride could be a thing. You are aware that this could breed competition or even comparison to other Christians. If you are reflective about the condition of your heart without examining it, then you deceive yourself. An honest examination of yourself will result in confession, not competition in accountability, not vanity. The pursuit of holiness isn't so that you would be holy. It is that God has already made you holy in Jesus Christ. Therefore, examine the condition of your heart. 
Submit your actions before the Lord and run after Jesus this morning. Let's look at the third. This is generosity. Let me read it. Paul writes, and this is only verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I gotta admit, this verse feels a little out of place, but it's in the text, therefore we must tackle it. In a nutshell, Paul is talking about taking care of financially and, financially and provisionally those who preach and teach the word of God faithfully. Here is why I think Paul mentions it. The Galatians were becoming persuaded to turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn toward a different gospel of a different nature. We reviewed that in brief last week, chapter 1, verse 6. That's why Paul is writing to the Galatians. In so doing, the Galatians were turning away from the teaching of the ones who were actually preaching and teaching faithfully and getting their ears tickled by false teachers with eloquent and cunning speech. Here's what Paul is saying. Make sure that you're generous toward the ones who are faithfully preaching and teaching the Word of God because their desire is for you to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, to flee youthful passions. That's what the text says. So let me say, especially if it's your first time, I have no need. Me, as your pastor, have no need. By God's grace, our church has been able to have me on full time. And so I want to thank you all for your generosity toward me and my family over the last five years and beyond. I have no need. So I'm not just going through this verse to preach something else. I got no need, right? So not the agas, this preachers, not the agas, bro. I don't have a need. I just told you. Hey, thanks, man. I love you too, Izzy. Right? Right. Moving forward. All right, here we go. Here's the thing. We as a collective body, though, we do have a need. I've been mentioning this uh, over the last month. Our goal for the month of December is to raise $15,000. Doing that enables us to not touch our savings for the rest of the year and allows us to put some of those funds towards missional efforts next year, leadership development. Additionally, if we're going to raise this $15,000, then not only can we do more in the next year, but we will keep this going. Apart from that, if you want to pray for something, pray for generosity within our body. Pray for me as I write a church planning proposal where my goal is to raise an additional $20,000 for 2022 by partnering with other churches in our network. For the last five years, we have given money to churches and church planters. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to continue to do that. We're not stopping. And so me coming alongside or asking other churches to come alongside us isn't necessarily something unique. It's not special to us. We've been self-sustaining for five years. We have blessed families and churches, and we will continue to do so. It has been a challenging year, yes. That does not mean we stop. And so if you're going to pray for anything, pray for that. That would be our burden. Pray urgently. Give generously. Serve humbly. I don't have a need. 
Consider the collective body. Fourth, reaping. This is verses 7 through 8. Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. At this point, Paul turns, uh, transitions towards a farming analogy. Essentially, this is what Paul is saying. There are two fields, okay? There are two fields, one that is the flesh, one that is the spirit. If you're unaware as to what the phrase the flesh means, we talked about this last week. The flesh is that internal desire that we still have to rebel against God. That part of us that still wants to bite on uh, you know, the, the temptations, the part of us that wants to resist God. That is the flesh. So that's one field, and then we have that of the Spirit. And here's what Paul is saying. Whichever field we sow, we will reap the fruit of that field. So let's consider the flesh. If we sow our own flesh, that is to say, if we sow our own selfish desires, our sinful actions, if we pursue willful rebellion, What does it mean to sow in the flesh? It means that you give in to your flesh. It means that you coddle your flesh rather than crucifying your flesh. Listen, we don't sympathize with the flesh. We crucify it. If we sow our own flesh, Paul says that we reap corruption. The word corruption is the word for decay and decomposition. And the thing that Paul is saying here is, At one point, one day, you will reap this fruit. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week, but you will reap the fruit of corruption. It's like the frog in boiling water. And you might be that frog because whatever it is that you're sowing in the flesh, well, it's not hurting anybody. It's not bothering anyone. It's just you. It's not affecting other people. Eventually, that water is going to get hot. And when it gets hot, it will boil. When it boils, that frog will die. At some point, you will reap that fruit. Listen, church, you will not grow in holiness if you continue to sow in the flesh. Period. You will not grow. When a couple who is dating engages, for instance, in sexual activity outside of marriage, you are sowing in the flesh. Some of you are business owners. Some of you are leaders. Some of you, are, you hold prominent positions. You are influential. When you go power hungry, you are sowing in the flesh. When you gossip, that is when you talk about one another behind one another's back, instead of going to the person and talking about whatever it is you need to talk about, You are sowing in the flesh. If there is bitterness and resentment in your marriage and you willfully uh, choose not to resolve it, you willfully cause dissension by choosing pride and walking in that, you are sowing in the flesh. Holiness is a harvest. That's why Paul gives the warning, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Listen once more to John Stott. He writes, Every time we allow our mind 
to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. So you either sow in the flesh or you sow in the Spirit. If you sow in the Spirit, you are pursuing the grace of repentance. You are pursuing holiness. You are fixing your eyes on Jesus. You are loving one another in, in word and in deed. Your thoughts become aligned to the will of God. And he says you will be rewarded with eternal life. It's not because you don't have it, but it's because you have received it that you can sow in the Spirit. The question is, and this is a self-examination question, it's only one that you can self-examine on yourself, hence self-examination. If you're not growing, do you even know Jesus? I'm not talking about struggle, right? I'm not talking about hitting a hard season. And that's the whole point of bearing one another's burdens. But I'm talking about there's no fruit. There's no transformation. I didn't ask you uh, if you attend church. I didn't ask you if your family was a, was a Christian family. Nada que ver. I didn't ask you any of that. The question is, if there's no fruit, if there's no transformation, if there's no pursuit of holiness, do you know Jesus? Or do you just know a lot about him? Those are two different things. At the beginning of this, uh, this section, Paul provides us with his own notagas. He says, do not be deceived. That is, do not be misled into thinking that you can keep yourself unstained or untangled when messing around with the fire that is sin. The Galatians tried doing that. And in chapter 3, we talked about this several weeks ago, right? We looked at chapter 3 and Paul says, who has bewitched you, Galatians? He adds another word, foolish. Right? Because they bought into it. They bought into the lie. They played with it. And they bought into it. He says, who has bewitched you foolish Galatians? That was very harsh language that Paul was using. In our English translation, it doesn't sound like it's harsh. Oh, those foolish Galatians. Remember that word foolish? He was calling them morons. Don't be misled into thinking that you can play with fire and not get burnt. God will not be mocked. But listen, it is, it is true. We cannot outsend God's grace and praise God for that. However, let us not grow spiritually arrogant into thinking that because we're good or we're not hurting anyone else or that it's simply us who goes affected by our sin that we're fine. God cannot be mocked. God will not be mocked. Listen, you cannot outwit God. 
So rather turn to him. So in the, so in the spirit. And finally, the fifth principle, perseverance. This is verses 9 through 10. Paul writes, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. He says it twice. Let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. In summary, Paul is talking about perseverance. It's a wonderful summary to this section. Don't give up. You will reap eventually. And it may be not be in this life, but you will reap eventually. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. So don't give up. Don't grow weary. There are things that we are doing. There are things that we are involved in that you get tired of. You grow weary in. Ministry can be exhausting. It can be lonely. Paul says, do not grow weary. Parenting. Beautiful, wonderful. It could be exhausting and frustrating. Do not grow weary. I don't know if you know, we have several volunteers that get here between 7 and 7.15. Thank you to those of you who are serving. That means that they wake up somewhere between 5.30 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. on a Sunday to set all of this up. Those of you who volunteer, sometimes I know you grow weary. As I look at Luis, I think about when we'd wake up at 5 a.m. to go pick up the trailer, right? Jamming out to Britney Spears, okay? We needed to wake up somehow. Anyway, apart from that, sometimes you grow weary in volunteering, or sometimes it gets heavy. Do not grow weary. Don't give up. Students, you just finished school. It's been a long semester been tedious. A lot of times it's been annoying, and you still got another semester to go. Don't grow weary. Teachers are tired of like building the plane as they go. They just want to land it. Like, let's just not even consider the plane. Teachers are exhausted. Do not grow weary. Don't give up. A few weeks ago, I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago, we had our, our staff Christmas dinner, and we had our prayer and planning meeting the following day. That's where we gather, pray, and consider what we're going to be doing for 2022. And one of the things that I asked uh, our, our, our team was, as you consider 2021, what did you see God do? What are you thankful for in light of all the challenges that we faced? And everybody gave different examples, and it boiled down to one thing, which I was really grateful for. And the one thing that it wasn't was preaching. I loved that. The one thing that they were the most thankful for was relationships. Relationships in the church. And that's a good sign. It's a good sign because that's what life in the Spirit looks like. Don't give up. Instead, man, as we wait, as we worship, do good. Paul says it twice. Do good. If you need me to break down the word good, then, oh man, I, that's not good. <laughs> right? Like, do good. Feed the hungry, clothe the poor, love one another, serve one another, pick up someone's tab, pay someone's bills, hang out with one another, do good, encourage one another, strengthen one another, do good. Do good to our neighbors, do good to our community. And some of you, like the Pharisees, may ask, well, who's my neighbor? Whoever is next to you, that's who your neighbor is. Paul adds, do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith, especially those in the church.
doing good is a wonderful summary of chapters 5 and 6. And he adds, as we have opportunity. As soon as you see opportunity, take it. Don't be like, oh, I got to pray about it. I don't know if the Spirit's leading me to do that. Like, not that, I guess, right? Like, stop speaking Christianese and go. Right? You are literally sent. If the Spirit dwells in you, you are sent. I don't know, I got to think about it. I got to pray about it. No, you just don't want to do anything. You're like those who are arguing about the word spiritual. You just don't want to do anything. Do good to those in the church as you have opportunity. Church, walking by the Spirit is at least, at least biblical community. It is at least restoration. It is at least the pursuit of holiness, generosity, reaping. It is at least perseverance. And so as we begin to close, here's what I want you to consider when you think about these principles, because it can come across as a burden in and of itself to look at these five principles and think, man, that's just so much to do, or I don't know if I can do that well. Here's where I would begin to encourage you. Weren't these principles something that Jesus himself embodied? Jesus restored us from our broken relationship with God. That at one point we were alienated, estranged from God, And then God enters into our world as the man, Jesus Christ. He lives the life that you and I can't live. He dies a death in our place for our sin. He offers us the grace of salvation that you and I cannot earn for the sake of restoring us back in right relationship with God. Jesus carried our greatest burden when he took our sin in our place on the cross. Jesus shared with constant generosity. He constantly sowed in the Spirit. Jesus was a prophet in word and deed who always did good. Jesus is our example and our source for power in living these principles out. These principles are not simply something that we do because that's just what we do, but because that's what Jesus has done for us first. And by the Spirit... We have been restored. We are empowered to carry these out with one another and among our neighborhood and the city. So Christian, let me ask you, are you walking by the Spirit in community? Are you sowing in the flesh or are you sowing in the Spirit? Are you in isolation? We've learned from psychology, and even if you just look back at the last year and a half, isolation will lead you to grow weary. Are you walking by the Spirit in community? Let me invite you to repent, to bring your sin before the Lord Jesus. I promise you, He will meet you where you are with His grace. That's the beauty of repentance that you can repent, that you can actually have access to God because of Jesus. So let me invite you to repent. Turn to Jesus. Pursue one another. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm always so thankful that you're here. It's an honor that you're here. And I got to drop this. You're not in the family of God. But you can be. You are still estranged from God. Yet he beckons you. You are alienated from God. You are at war with God. But he has provided a way for you to come and know him through Jesus. 
And it is through Jesus that you can be adopted into the family of God by the grace of God. Man, let me urge you to, to submit yourself, to surrender yourself before the Lordship of Jesus. Church, walking by the Spirit produces biblical community. Let's pray. Father, before you, we ask, be merciful. Forgive us of our sin. Lord, cleanse our unrighteousness. Heal our hurts. Reconcile. Restore our broken relationships. God, pour your Spirit upon us with a renewing grace. Restore us to the joy of your salvation. Forgive us of our ingratitude. Humble our hearts this morning. God, may we be a people who drink from the well of your grace. May we walk in step with the Spirit because of Jesus' work for us. Because ultimately, we belong to you. May the meditation of our heart and the words of our mouth be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.